<laughs> I oh, mean, there's there's a, a <laughs> there's a lot of things that that you know we can talk about. You know, we have we have a great dynamic that comes through a lot, and people always like. To We're laugh just about. starting now. Are because we? it's oh. uh, you cut off the introduction. It's, I know, I gotta keep that, I gotta... it's more fun that way. <laughs> this is exactly this is exactly how our life is. We got a hot mic. We just gotta start. I feel like I... welcome to the Scotty Pancake Podcast. I'm Jason Ackerman. And I'm Yvonne Ackerman. This is where you say your names. Oh, I'm Peter Taylor. <laughs> and I'm Mark Jacksina. This is what this is this, a it's very hot. important. It's hot pod. in here. So we, we have, have Yeah, go ahead. The you call yourselves the co founders of Order Fire? The people, yeah. there's only two, I guess. This, so. this, well, there's more than two, but this, there's is, a lot of people this is the me. best part of the story. If, if you don't pick up, if you hang up on this show after anything else, like get through this first part because you'll get our dynamic down. Yeah. <laughs> people <laughs> never turn this pot off. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, have, you have about 30 seconds. Oh, and then you, have you got, you, we haven't really met Met, so let's give it time. No. Um, <laughs> Pete and I, when we first started this project, real quick backstory. So we were like, Pete's this guy that's how, like, about, we gotta, how about we tell the name of the project? We won't yet. No. The, okay. the, they have to wait for that. We had to that's get our ducks in a row. Let me tell the story. <laughs> um, we have to, Pete is a duck in the row kind of guy. He's got checklists for all his equipment. I mean, he has to be just for what he does for a living. You know, he does have a specific checklist for on the road, like out of town travel, filming, and then in town. And I mean, he's a professional photographer. He's got to have it. I get it. Down to make sure that Darius fills his tea for him before he leaves. Not to say that he's a diva. <laughs> um, he can't fill his own cup. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, we just make sure it's close it's, at hand. It's, yeah, yeah, right. It's Pete always a, there. He has a lot on his mind. So in any event, um, we were getting ready to, I think it was like our first piece of press that somebody had reached out. We were about episode three-ish or so. And Pete was like, well, we should probably figure out, like, we should, we should get our narrative right as far as our story goes. And... <laughs> We don't, we don't have the same story because we are two different peoples living in two different realities, living two different lives that come together on a project, right? Because he brought this up last time when we were together before he got up. He goes, we should probably figure out, you know, like how this thing goes. I'm like, Pete, the real story is the fact that he had one, he's got one recollection of it. because The right one. <laughs> well, you are to my right. And then I have one that's on the left, which would be the one that's more socially accurate. Um, and socially responsible. And socially responsible. Um, well, Pete was working on something with Clark Barlow at the time, and you can interrupt me at any moment, because this is really your part of the story. Well, I've been, I've been working with Clark since he started the restaurant in, in all kinds of uh, different ways, pictures and videos. And Mark and I talked about working together, and we just couldn't. No, we didn't. We had, we couldn't, we couldn't, because I'd worked with Mark on a on a uh, a project that I had called Southern Purveyors, where I was uh, photographing uh, basically protein sources at the at the source and then back to the chefs, following it all the way through, and that's how I met Mark, one of uh, uh, his pur purveyors, uh, Craig Rogers, who does Border Springs Lamb, said, "Oh, you should talk to Mark. Mark's doing great stuff with my lamb. He's in Charlotte, so that's how we met." And then we said, "Hey, you know, maybe we should do some work together." What, and this was maybe a year later. We had talked about that. Yeah. It is. This is this is this is where it diverges, <laughs> and this is the best part. Well, we just couldn't really decide what to do. We didn't want to do a blog. Everybody does a blog. Podcasting wasn't really a thing at that point. Um, so we just, you know, Mark was a writer, and we thought maybe we could do some writing with some pictures. But it just felt uh, like something that nobody really would want to look at. And then we, I had lunch with Clark over at Earl's when you were there, and you came and sat with us. And we were having this conversation, and these two, uh, Clark and Mark, started just talking about fried chicken. And when it was done, I was like, that, that's what we need to uh, capture. And that's when it, how, how it came about. 
So the real story, <laughs> <laughs> I had just got out of fine dining, the Earl's, the Earl's groceries. You were at Halcyon. But, yeah. Well, I had left Halcyon. So I got it part right. I got left or kicked right. her out. Depends. I guess it depends. I've heard, <laughs> I've got taken to task on social media by some interesting individuals, some who I don't even know that have a very strong opinion about what happened to me at Halcyon. <laughs> what years were you there? I was the guy that, I mean, it was my restaurant. I you opened, started. It. opened it. Yeah. 2010? Yeah. What's that? 2010? I, I sold my part of Lulu in February of 2010, and we opened up November of 2011, um, if, I'm, if I've got my dates correct. And it may be, I may be off by one year, so it could have been November of 2010, but it was right around there because we were like the Mint Museum was in um, process, and I had done some conversations. And when I went down and saw the Dale Chihuly getting ready to get hung, I'm like, I'm in. I'm like, there's no... There's no way. Can I swear on this thing? Oh, oh hell yeah. I just have to make sure. Wow, you were you you had you caught yourself. That's the first yeah. time. I know it's a rarity. It's and it's the thing oh, is the, is, the I, boss is about to walk in. I think I'm always the guy that makes the second one happen. Start cursing before the boss comes up. <laughs> it's all downhill. Hello, Rachel Sutherland. <laughs> Sutherland Communications. Um, so, anyways, I had I had finished up with fine dining and I knew and then I did um, Nan and Byron's with uh, Jamie and the I forgot what they're going by now Five Street Group I think it is or something. Nan and Byron's was good then and then it went to like yeah, shit that, it, that location. So I mean I appreciate that but it had I mean I like Nan and Byron's. It should have been great. It really should have been great. Jamie and all those guys were still really good friends. Um, and this was just an idea that I think we all really wanted to work. And I think every single one of us if we were pulled aside, probably could give a reason why it shouldn't. And it didn't work for exactly all of those reasons. Location was horrible. The idea of Jamie and I trying to teach people how to like do classical French finishing techniques on IQF frozen vegetables from Cisco. <laughs> it's, it's not what anybody wanted from us. That's horrifying. But it, it is. But the idea was, is we were trying to, I think we were trying to mimic in a roundabout way, sort of what Danny Myers had done, right? And we were trying to do, but th there was missing ingredients, and some of it was the ingredients. Um, <laughs> location sucked. It was just a bunch of stuff. Um, well, it's Rosemont now. So. What's that? I know. Is that, I, I can't even tell. Just drive by and see liquor. That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's liquor. all you need to know. <laughs> have, you, have, you had those, have you had those soccer moms over there, those drinks? Yeah, oh, yeah, we, with the Capri Sun. Yeah, we have I think not. we single-handedly put Woo's out of business. Oh, that's our we hope. Wrote, we wrote <laughs> a very... That's like the only bad, terrible Yeah, that's the only wrote. bad review oh, on the blog yeah, is about that's, Woo's. It's unfortunate. It was I'm a good travesty. With, it was. Well, you know, hey, look, some properties just suck. That's and I the think, thing. Yeah. It's a cursed location It now. is. Nothing but good will I happen. I really thought that I Five Church was... is doing good, though, isn't it? Well, I feel like they found it, right? It's like, it doesn't want to be good. It wants to be liquor. How hard is it to be good when you're putting juice in a plastic bag? exactly. Feeding people that will drink anything trendy out of anything they trendy. just lowered the bar and now they're going to be fine <laughs> that is yeah. such a great play on words all the way around um anyway so i left we, we finished out nan and byron's and i had like when i left there i mean i was completely wiped out both creatively um physically i was down to i mean i was lighter than i was my freshman year of high school i wrestled so i'm usually pretty aware of what my weight is um what's up with all these chefs being wrestlers i don't know but you know what i that was the thing that i think enamored me on how to talk to other chefs, especially young cooks, but it all seems to go together, you know? And I mean, I guess we're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> um, and go long distances without eating, all these things, or eating a lot, depending. Yeah. But anyways, um, I was trying to figure out, I knew that I wasn't going to go back to fine dining because that had just, I mean, I almost lost my marriage, lost my mind, um, my health, uh, my sobriety was nowhere even, that wasn't even a, an idea at that point. And, um, it was like an hour a day. 
What's that? You should brag. <laughs> when he was sleeping. <laughs> if that is, that was the thing is like, I mean, we, that's a whole other story. So in any event, I knew that I needed to do something, but I wasn't sure what it was. Um, and I thought maybe I could look back at writing, which is funny because for people that, are, that have been following me recently, particularly, they're always like, dude, you're really, you should write, you should write. And I had published this piece about sobriety and they're like, I had no idea. And it's like, before I was a chef, I was a writer. Like I published a book. It's not a big book. It's a book of poems. So it's like, you know. What's that's, it called? That's cool. Nicotine, ju- nicotine jukebox. That's awesome. Um, but the thing is, uh, on that part is, is I wanted to get back to that because that would give me some creativity and try to find balance in my life. All the buzzwords that are going on now in the culinary world, I, un- I think I was looking for that before we knew what they were. So I was at, Na- I was at Earl's and I knew that that wasn't going to be like the creative thing. I wasn't going to be out at night um, cooking dinners, making high-end food. So that wasn't going to take care of the ego part that I, that I knew that I needed without being egotistical, which fine dining is. Um, Pete came back sort of into my life after we did that one project. Um, that he was talking about. And um, so he showed up at Earl's a couple times. The fried chicken story is is really a separate part of the story. And this is where he's, this is where he diverges wrong. When I went out, I went out with uh, Kia Mastriani, um, Graham, I think Kathleen Purvis was there. It was some food writers and some cooks. And I took him to a fried chicken joint in Derrida that's right down the street from my house. That area doesn't get any love. So and I was like, we should, you guys should come here. So we brought him, I brought him to U.S. Fried Chicken for some fried chicken, and we just started talking. And the idea came up. I'm like, maybe what I need to do is get with another chef and then maybe bring in a food writer or bring in a, a, like an, an unknown guy, like a line cook or somebody. And we could talk about one particular food thing. Fried chicken is always a good one. And we could talk about the difference of it. And the idea would be that it would just riff off into the ether and whatever would happen. And then I could write these things down and maybe come up with something. But I didn't really have an idea. So Pete was working on this thing. Me and Clark started talking, and there's two things that happened. One, I, I had given him the idea, or I'd said the idea of one of the, idea, one of the things that I was working on while Clark was there. We started talking about the fried chicken thing specifically, so that diverged way off into this whole fried chicken thing. Clark left. Pete and I were still sort of there. And then Pete was like, he goes, hey, maybe you know, if we do this thing or whatever, one of the things that stick with me is maybe we could do like a video companion to whatever it is that you write. And I did what you did. I nodded my head. In my head, what I was doing was, is like, there is no fucking way I'm going to do that. It was like my uncle telling me when I was doing poetry, you know what you should do? You should get bongos. And I'm like, yeah, great idea, Uncle Larry. And I'm like, I'm not fucking doing bongos. It's already been done. So this is- We all have an Uncle Larry. I would, I would love to see you playing bongos. I, I got pictures of you, that. Will you bring them to the next screen? Yeah, I'll definitely bring them for you. I, actually, that I will do. So anyways, that's, and this is the Pete and I thing, right? I mean, like, there's, there's so much truth to what he, to what he said, because that's what he lives, and there's so much truth to what I said. But I think that's why this project has gone five seasons, because of the fact that Pete's never really stepped over into, like, onto my creative toes too much. And actually, for somebody who's doing directorial work, he doesn't, it's very rare. It's usually me doing this, is when he'll tell me, or if I um too much. Um, he touches his face a lot. I do. I'm a twitchy bastard. That's the worst thing about seeing yourself. Scary time to do that. But he does. <laughs> yeah, right. He does this a lot, where he's trying to talk to the microphone and then covers his mouth and then keeps. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Like the beard stroke. That's all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's, uh, there's so much shit going on inside there. You don't even want to. Uh, um. Anyways, so that's where. Uh, I think the reason that we've done five seasons so much, and Pete, you know, please jump in. I feel like I'm hogging all the air, but we don't. We've never crossed. We've never crossed streams too much, as far as. Which usually will happen with people that are creative. I mean, I've been involved with so many different creative projects through the years. 
it always fails, whether it's the two people that started the thing up coming to head, somebody, somebody wants to be the leader, somebody has to be the leader. Or usually the other cases is you find a place that says, hey, you know, you can do your little poetry thing here, you can do your open mic thing here, and you're good maybe two months, three months, and then it starts. And then next thing you know, you're not doing it there. They've, they've got a good scene happening because of maybe a little labor that you've done for them, and you're not doing open mic there anymore. They want things that don't happen or whatever. We've not experienced that, not with Pete and I, not with uh, the fine folks at Free Range who from the get-go were, like, they were immediately, they're like, absolutely, they saw value in our project, and they've maintained that even as they've grown. And then Darius has been involved. Since the second Amber, one? Yeah, since the second one. Amber helped. Joel Tracy was a big was a big help at the beginning. He used to do, like, the culture fair and stuff. He's out of Charlotte now. And then we got better with, when Jeff came on and fixed well, everything. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a, a, a an editor that's for the most part, doing things, doing everything for free and making you really look good, and he's got two Emmy Awards, he's probably going to have a pretty good product. We need one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Where do we find ourselves a job? <laughs> Pete, what did you do for that one? <laughs> Jeff, Jeff uh, you know, wanted to work with us because he you know, believes in the project like we all do. Everybody works for free on the project. Nobody gets paid. There's no money involved in it at all. And the few times that we've gotten like a little a little boon, it's always gone to either Darius or to Jeff. And it's, I mean, it's not like, here's $10,000. It's more yeah. like, so here's a nickel. <laughs> so, P, how did you get into food? Because you're, you're, because you make your money by doing. I would choose your words wisely when you uh, say, how did you get into food? He eats like a toddler. It, it is true. Just chicken fingers, <laughs> mostly. He, he likes the lunchables. Oh, oh, There's nothing wrong. No, with no, that. no, no. See, the you're pizza? going like you're saying. Oh, like the guilty pleasure. Oh, and I get that part. No, no, no. <laughs> he just one hasn't. Time, one time. In, He's stuck in third yeah, grade. Yeah, it's not an everyday lunchable. We happen. were on a we were on a road trip at Mirwa in Virginia. We weren't going to eat dinner. We, we, I offered. We were in the grocery store. And I'm like, I'll cook dinner. I've cooked at night. the James Beard house, so I kind of know how to cook if, at least a little bit. Mark Chatsina says, "I'll cook you dinner." No, 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 no. So he's like, no, no. He goes, no, no. He goes, we'll just eat. He goes, I, I'm just going to eat this. And he grabs <laughs> fucking a lunch. It's not, it, it's not true. You were going to cook breakfast, which you did. No, I offered to cook dinner. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. I totally did. <laughs> breakfast for dinner. You're the one that made, no, because I, then he made me, then he made us buy frozen biscuits. Those are good though. No. <laughs> that was so we can make them for you. I'm going to have to edit have, that out. We didn't have time for it. That. Didn't, it's, it's okay. It's a good thing. I mean, quite honestly, though, outside of that, it was probably the best choice that ever happened because you remember there was like the propane was off, so everything tasted like propane. It was so horrible. Yeah. It was like was... black film on top of uncooked biscuits. The Ugh. water was oh, shut gosh. off. Yeah, there were some issues with that <laughs> Airbnb. It was horrible. <laughs> but thank you it's anyways, Travis. It was, a good, it was a good time. Um, anyways, Pete, how did you get into food? Sorry. <laughs> uh, I was working down in Miami, uh, and I uh, had a shoot with a chef, Willis Lawhead, and uh, we hit it off and became really good. We're still really good friends to this day. And he says, do you shoot food? And I was like, well, I have, you know, but I'm not a food photographer. He's like, well, you want to learn? And I said, sure. So Willis's restaurant at the time was a super famous Miami Beach restaurant called Tantra. Had a sod floor that was replaced every week, and all the celebrities would go there. But it was run by a crackhead dentist, so there was no. <laughs> Aren't we, they all? <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's Miami Beach. <laughs> so we would go in on Thursdays and do a shoot, and Willis would open a magnum of champagne, and we would take food pictures, and that's how I learned how to shoot food. It was great. Baller. I love. Yeah, I love that is baller. I love <laughs> yeah. pictures of food. By the way, when I first when he came in to talk to me, like I don't know if you guys have talked to chefs. And have you reached out to try to get chefs? So we're pretty not easy to get to. Like we, 
you would think that we were bigger celebrities or something than we think we are. <laughs> but it's like, for the most part, it's like people are just constantly like, hey, I want to come. And all we're looking at is like, this is a disruption. This is a disruption. Well, so, you're very busy. We are. But I, I mean, the thing is, is we're busy, but we're also in our heads a lot. So we're not as busy as we like put ourselves in because we're just constantly on go. So when Pete had reached out at first, I was just like, mm, but because it was, <laughs> and I was like, I want to do Adam Muzak because that's my boy. And he goes, well, somebody's already done it. He goes, but. Craig um, from Border Springs um, had suggested that I, you know, that you that you should do the lamb, which I mean, I was honored. It's a great product. Um, so Pete showed up, and then he's like, you know, I was kind of was like, give me the rundown, tell me what you need, because it's like I've got other things that I need to do. So he's like, take probably about I, I don't remember the exact number, but it would be like you know somewhere between eight to eight to twelve different shop seg- segments. And he goes, and I'd probably need to do. Um, couple of portraitures and I was like please just don't make me do the <laughs> so the pictures are like this <laughs> which is really funny like, because like they're like not, the Tupac like yeah. yeah just you know you know the, <laughs> the rapper days. there's always like crush arms or we do that in uh, anyways because oh, yeah. we're not a giving we're not a giving breed or you know it's hold the knives or do something like, like the that. Bobby Flay or they stand there with yeah, their hands Bobby at their Flay. hips and go yeah I mean <laughs> we're yeah there's so many that's of like us the hot just, dog pose <laughs> yeah that's exactly it um but it, it turns out, so when I saw those, because he sent me a link so I could check it out, and I was like, you know, the food shots look good. How do I look? Um, <laughs> so, like, the candid shots were really That's good. That's really all he cares about. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be dead honest. That was exactly what I'm looking for because it's like, you know, I mean, people are going to come eat the lamb, but they, they want it. They want it. They want to meet me. They want a piece of that. They want a piece of that. <laughs> um, so, you know, I saw Pete, Pete shots, and just looking at him from that, I was just like, I mean, I, I wasn't overwhelmed at first. And I don't mean that as a diss because we just, so we just kind of moved forward. And then like when I started to see Pete's actual photographs and then watching him develop from the time that I saw him, like his work went from really, really good to fucking great. Like Pete's ability to see light still blows me out of the water. That was a long way to go for a compliment, by the way. (laughs) Well, so let's talk about the premise of order fire for those who don't know, like talk about, you know, what you want to showcase and is it about food or the stories and like the money that you do raise, like what they're able to do with it. So let's. Well, when we started, the idea was, um, so back to my origin story, it was <laughs> that conversation that chefs have when they're together, not the conversation that chefs have when they're talking to uh, a reporter, you know, where it's uh, so, you know, did you, and what's this your is, favorite ingredient? This use? is exactly where our stories are aligned. completely aligned <laughs> because that was the thing with the guys we're sitting there. I'm like all the stuff that we just talked about, never shows up in print. Instead, it's always the same. It's, I mean, it's the same hits. Sorry, Pete, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, I did. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we thought that would be great, you know, have these guys sit down and have it be more conversational than interview. Uh, the first couple ones, we always, we always feel really bad because uh, the first two episodes, Clark and, and Blake, you know, you, you always call in your friends. The first three, actually. The, the one never seen oh, episode. Yeah, oh, Jay. what's that oh. one? Jay Pierce. Oh. Uh, but Why was it not seen? Uh, he left Rock Salt before uh, we uh, were able to put it out, and it was uh, it, it, the interview really centered around fish and seafood, and him um, coming to learn how to use that and really respect it. And, and, and it was, was and it was fully scripted. It was the first couple ones. You know, we had questions written out that we would start with that would be like a basis for the conversation, and it just didn't flow. Very we well. had segments, yeah, all that. Oh, it was so, it was so bad. That's right. The, I forgot about the first one, the high five or whatever it was, right? Yeah, we used to have more oh, stuff like right. that too, and now we just kind of let the structure go. Let it go. Yeah. yeah, you guys would drive Jeff nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our Jeff likes um, starts and ends to questions. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's probably, I don't know, it might be better if we had more structure. No. <laughs> Editors love structure, by the way. See, we don't edit anything. It's just, yeah. unless you like say something racist, then I have to edit that out. But other so, than that. So the conversations that chefs would have. Pete was like, he the... goes, Pete saw a chance. He's like, maybe I should make a joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, how do you make, how do you make an edit, edit sound? Oh, oh, I thought you were, I, I thought for, I thought you were going to try to say something else. Be like, oh the last God. thirty seconds were edited. And it was a terrible joke. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Thanks. <Mark. laughs> By the magic of television. Oh, sorry. Uh, anyway, podcasting. So we that that was the idea is that capture these conversations. And for me, I was just learning video stuff, and I've worked on I've worked on productions uh, for I don't know twenty five years. Uh, lots of uh, cable TV stuff, uh, doing stills. So I've seen productions. I've seen them from big movies, you know, big multi-million dollar movies to, uh, you know, st- things like we do. So I knew what it should look like. And I thought, let's try and do this the best we can with the equipment that we have. And that's what, and I looked at it as a, um, an exercise in, in making it work. And we got in and, and started doing it. And, and I guess that's the, that's the premise. That's where it started. And, and from there, uh, after the first few, we, we got rid of the questions. And just started having Mark uh, have a conversation, and it was really interesting. Who was the first chef that you didn't know? Do you remember? I feel like the first one was Sam Jones, but that was season two. Um, no, that'd be about right. Sam was yeah. the first one that I didn't know, didn't know at all. I just knew about him. But Paul Paul Verica's episode, I felt, was where probably it came together. It really turned into sort of what it is now. By the end of season yeah. one, we really I think that's the first one I saw because we were having him on the podcast, and I always watch your episodes because that's how I get like my background. Oh, no. Hey, there, we, we've become a reference now. Well, because there's, there's not a lot of places you can go for Charlotte Chef to, to see stuff like that. There's not a lot of places to go to find something that somebody hasn't already written about, and that's how we sort of yeah. ended up where it was. Um, and I think... I think because of the fact that we assumed, and Pete having been involved in production and me being completely oblivious to it, I just assumed there had to be, like, you couldn't just freeform stuff, right? Like, that's 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 left to, like, me in the kitchen coming up with a special or um, Thelonious Monk playing piano. Like, you get to freeform all you want, but otherwise, like, you have to be sort of by the numbers. Um, and we tried that, and, and luckily they were really good friends of mine, and we didn't. We didn't really make him look bad. I think Blake's was the one that you had to go back and re-edit because my wife, who knows him, says, "I don't. Why should I care about him? Why do I love? Why should I love him?" Because that's my whole thing: is when we walk away from an episode, I want people to love this individual and see that thing that I that I see. Tolstoy that said, "That's what great art is: is being able to share an experience where it becomes yours." That's like to me, that's what art is. So that's what storytelling should be. And I felt like Paul Verica's jumped like into that pool finally well, for us. There were a few things that happened there. Um, we switched locations. Three, <laughs> twice, but yeah. three different starts. Actually, there, you know what? There's two episodes that didn't air. The Unnamed, oh, unnamed Brewery. The Unnamed Brewery, yes. yes. Not the yeah. Unknown Brewery. Not the no. Unknown Brewery. <laughs> okay. A, bre- a, brewery, a we, brewery with no we name. Had, we had a bad experience, and we don't want to really, you know, throw them under the bus. We, right? we, yeah, we wouldn't yeah. want to disparage them by any stretch. Of it was just a very odd situation. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. But we uh, had been um, filming at Earl's. Uh, one of the ideas I had was to bring the chefs out of their space into uh, a neutral space so that they could just sit and talk and not have to worry about deliveries coming in and you know uh, watching their sous chef you know prep in the back and stuff like that. And it worked great. I, it was a really good idea. And then we uh, it was a Monday. We were filming at Earl's with Paul, and we, we take we take up a lot of space. Uh, we, we don't come in, it's not, you know, a small table with four things. 
we film with three to four cameras. We have lights sometimes. Uh, you know, we have monitors. We have lots of space. And at Earl's, we would we do it on a Monday afternoon so we could take up space that wouldn't be a problem. This particular Monday, they happened to be crowded, and there were people standing around with their trays of food. And, and this, looked, is, and this was after we place. moved from Wednesdays to Mondays, yeah. trying to find like find a day that we like. Could, how how do we not get in anybody's way? So, and you were picking them up on the camera, and I was like, "Okay, we got to cut. We can't do this. Let's get out of here." Because we didn't want to also stress uh, Bonnie and Trish and cause any grief at the at the restaurant. So we cut it, and we decided to go over to Paul's place and film it at Heritage. And once we got there and and started filming it, with us, also when we started adding B roll to the episodes, uh, it really all clicked together. Yeah, uh, because I was. Way. They were in their comfort zone. Yeah, it's like you're it's, going to their house. Yeah, you would think that it'd be the opposite. They wouldn't like look. You, know, you can just be on vacation, and instead they're just kind of like, I'm, you know, this is completely odd. And then on top of it, like I'm trying to do my thing, and I'm doing what chefs do. It's like, you know, what's going on over there? Are they screwing something up while I'm not paying attention? So there was yeah. all that. So and ba- back to what you're talking about, like you know the the premise, and we brought up the first uh, chef that Mark didn't know. So when we were filming the first seven or eight episodes, Mark knew everybody, he had a had a relationship with them. So he's talking to his friends, people he knew, and that kind of thing. So I found it to be really interesting when we had somebody he didn't know to see how it would go, and his his background and, and who he is was just really came through. Everybody feels really comfortable with Mark and feels really comfortable talking, and we people. Uh, people tell us stories on Order of Fire that they've never told before, that they've never shared before. Uh, the um, this is where I'm going to look back because I'm I'm blanking on uh, Pinky's. Oh, Greg, Greg, right. Uh, you talk about his with his father, or his grandfather, because no, the, sto- the whole story of the penguin. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the like inside backstory of how what happened at the penguin, which he had never shared before. Well, one of the insider's story would well, be very yeah, one But I mean yeah. I mean it, it lines up. Those guys were all really good friends of mine. I mean I owned I, I had a restaurant in Plaza Midwood. I got a I, I was pretty much in oblivion. And that was back penguin. when Plaza Midwood was like dirty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it was like I mean, I love to see the fact that there's still that that Plaza Midwood is still a little odd, even with all the condos and stuff. And it's now it's a different odd for me. I mean, I'm much older than the generation of people that are coming in. And it's funny when I hear guys my age are like these, you know, like they sound, they sound like old, like old people did when I was younger. <laughs> and I'm still like, I'm still so enamored by youth culture. I mean, I grew up skateboarding and as a punk rock kid. So it's like, even if I don't, even if I look at the clothing and the ideas and the, the material things that they're into, there's still that general kind of like double middle fingers are doing their shit. I like it. If it, if it, if I find myself getting remotely upset at it from some kind of like age norm, I'm I'm gonna fall even more in love with it. So there's those things about Plaza Midwood that I can't stand, just as general like the gentrification and things like that that happen. But there's so much vibrancy and life that's going on over in an area that always felt like that to me. Anyways, it's just a different. It's 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 a different color of drunks now, basically, if that's fair. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Greg. I mean, Greg came on, and so that was the first time that any of those guys had actually given the full like the more of the emotional toll of the story and everything that went down without it feeling political or censored as the case may be we were, i mean we really lucked out in that aspect mm-hmm. um well i i think you know that speaks to you and be, making people feel comfortable and to talk about things so well it's it's a storytelling thing and i think the, and the one thing i didn't hit on with pete's photography and it wasn't really until we moved out of earl's and over to um paul and we started to see um uh, the B-roll show up that I realized how good of a storyteller Pete was visually because I just, you know, I, honestly, I just thought it was a technical thing. I mean, I've taken photography, so to me, it was like, yes, there's some art involved. And he has an iPhone, so he's a photographer. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. Um, but I did take 
but I did take photography when I was in college. I mean, I had a general understanding of it. I would never call myself a photographer. I've learned a lot from hanging out with Pete because I just never considered late because it's always there, right? Um, but I think that we that's when we really started to coalesce because I started to really look at it in the way that I wrote as far as like cinematically. Like my pieces have always been sort of like, I want to bring you in quickly and drop you into the space. And then I want to disorient you a little bit. So that way you you kind of let your guard down. And Pete's Pete's stuff sort of does that in such an elegant, nuanced way that every time we sit down and watch, especially like if there's a lot of outdoor light, I love watching how he makes that work. Something I wouldn't have ever paid attention to before I met him. And, and that's why I think sort of how the human ingredient really came in because it was as much Pete getting to be more of a, more of a photographer and me really sort of finding or figuring out how to be a storyteller and a gatherer and then having those couple together. I mean, having an editor obviously helps. Having Rachel help us promote the show obviously helps. I mean, there's so many people that are involved that make it, that make it work. But th- we get the best out of our guests that way, I think. And then how do the screenings work? So is that where you like collect the donations for the chefs to? Sure. So that the the whole uh, part part of that the the uh, the donations and giving back started with uh, with our second episode with Blake. Blake. Um, he was doing the uh, Taste of the NFL and he had a, was having a dinner and he was like, "Hey, why don't we raffle off two tickets?" And this was only our second screening and, and I had no idea what was going to happen. I'm like, "Oh my god, what if we only sell like five tickets?" That's like I would be so embarrassed. So I thought, what if we made it, um, you know, kind of an exclusive? What if we only sell 25 tickets and sell them for $10 a piece versus, you know, a $5 ticket or something? And we did it, and they sold out in, you know, 20 minutes. There's nothing like taking success and going like, no, you can't, too much success. Let's pull that back. Right. (laughs) It's the story of my life. We did that for a couple of times. I thought, uh, you know, trying to limit the tickets, and then we just opened it up. And so what happens is each chef uh, decides if they want to do it. Nobody, it's not a requirement to be an order fire that you have a raffle. Everybody has. We've had crazy, um, uh, crazy items that we've done. Um, Joe Kinder did like a, a four person tasting menu in their private dining room. Wow. Uh, Rocco Whalen did a 25 person um, cocktail party. Sunset cocktail o- open party. Open bar and passed apps on his patio. For it wasn't like, oh my goodness. it wasn't like a four ounce tasting of wine, a sip of a cocktail, no. and like a couple of like, a moose bush of some old tuna. Like he went <laughs> like, seriously. Cause I mean, chefs will do that. Like, you know, they're going to give you this out, but you're only going to get a little bit of these things. Like he went, everybody has yeah. been really super generous, which is always the first yeah. one we ask some people. So like you can go from a gift basket to Rocco and we're not saying that you should do either. This is going to be a tough one to match though. And we don't expect it. Right. And it, it's, uh, so we sell the tickets for $10. Um, and all the money, the chefs or the guests get to pick who the, their charity is. Uh, we've had everybody. Rocco picked the Levine Cancer Institute. Um, Joe Kinder picked the um, uh, uh, Davidson uh, YMCA because it, it, was, it was things that are meaningful to them. Uh, for for Joe, it was that's and, and Katie. That's where they help with the kids and help them be able to open the restaurant. Uh, other people have done. Pinkies. Um, Greg did the Pitbull Rescue. Rescue. Right. Yeah. Everybody has something that's meaningful to them. And we get the uh, sell the tickets, give away the prizes, and we hand them the cash at yeah. the end of the night. And Sam's doing the uh, the rehab center down in uh, Sumter, right, yeah. South Carolina. Sam Dimish. Yeah, yep. sorry, that'll yeah, be guest. our next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's you know that's kind of the for me that's the part number one when Joel presented the idea of doing a screening party. Um, honestly, I'm just looking at it as like I'm just getting Sundays back with my with my family after years of not, you know, and I'm not going to blame the industry because I could, there's been times where I could have gone home and didn't. Um, so 
doing the screening party, I was just like, yeah, I, get, you know, I mean, I can get it. We'll do one. It's like, hey, here we are. Yeah, we and thought was, we would do one to like premiere Lord of Fire and like have a, have a party. And, and then those guys were like, you know, Joel, I think, was pushing for it more anyways. You were sort of on the fence after the second, after the first one. He was like, we should definitely do it. And I'm like, mm. but at the same time, it's like Blake is one of my best friends. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to shuck him of the opportunity to be able to do it, given that we gave the guys from the Thirsty Beaver, the Loose Lug Nuts, the opening for Clark's party, which is a weird mishmash since those guys, Blake and myself, were really more of a, like, we were more of a group of people than Clark and them were. But it made, it made the, it made the party, it really popped that day. And we got done and Pete was like, we're gonna, the next one needs to happen. And I, I, I was like, well, the second one will work and then we'll be done with it. Yeah, and we that's thought we'd just keep it going until it wouldn't. I honestly didn't think we'd go past four episodes um, and wouldn't have pushed for a screening party. But Blake raising money, like if, and chefs, and you guys have talked to enough of us. I mean, we're the first ones, like whatever you need, we're going to give. Whether it's a four ounce pour of some wine, a, you know, a poorly made cocktail and some leftover tuna, we'll give what we got. Um so once we started raising money, I mean, it, it speaks to me and, and to Pete and those guys, obviously. But for me to go like, eh, I don't want to really spend my Sunday hanging out with industry people to get away from the industry. But if we're going to raise money, if we're going to take money from people basically that are drinking beer and give it to people that could use it, I'm in. I like the Robin Hood idea. <laughs> yeah. And so so you're on episode – what episode are you on? Like 50? We we figured it out a, a few months ago. Uh, we have over fifty get guests, and I think thirty five episodes. So we have thirty four. Because we've had a couple like four yeah. multiple, you know, like yeah. multiple so how, drink orders. We have one one screening, but there's two episodes mixed in. Or um, you know, we've had uh, the beer episode. We did four. Uh, uh, Free range and full steam and Fontaflora and burial. And burial. So you know that's one episode, but four different. Places. And then we had what you call it from Lucky Clay. Oh yeah, Brad. Uh, Brad. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so are you running out of people to interview? No, never. no. That's the thing. <laughs> we could do we could do twenty seasons in Charlotte and never run out of people. And every season, you know, there's uh, there's new people that come in. I mean, we just ha- opened up this season with uh, Mike Noel from over at Bardo, and you know he's a fairly new new uh, face here in the Charlotte scene, and you know he's just killing it over there. And we thought. Uh, we should include him because he's, you know, getting a lot of uh, of buzz and doing really cool stuff. And I didn't. I mean, he doesn't have a. Story. He doesn't have and the thing. I was gonna say he's got a great story, but it doesn't jump at you like some of the other ones are pretty obvious. Yeah. Or, you know, would seem to be there. So like, Mike, I didn't really know. I was kind of like doing that whole looking around from. And the he's kind of hard to talk to. Yeah. He's oh yeah, quiet. he's definitely he's gonna pull it out of him. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is, it comes across one way, and we talk about this on the episode, and it's completely the opposite. He operates exactly like all chefs do, because you see this sort of like looking out like that, and you see this thing because there's an intense passion in what they're doing, but it also holds back. I mean, we're probably one of the few industries that is under constant barrage. Like we are criticized for almost everything that we do. So it does, we're we're kind of used to it, but it does make you a little bit shell shocked, a little bit weary of people, and most of us are really painfully awkwardly shy, which is how we ended up there because we're like, you know, the land of misfit toys exists in the kitchen. <laughs> not everybody though. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so not everybody's awkwardly shy. <laughs> you would think so. I've told everybody this. I'm painfully shy. I mean, I grew up painfully shy, so a lot of this was a, was a, was a work, and I, that's why I see it with sometimes when I'm talking with other ones, and with Mike, that was sort of the connection, and that's usually, I think, that's when the stories go from 
you can almost see it happen too, especially if it's edited near the timeline, where we're just kind of like, it starts off, and then all of a sudden the deep dive starts to happen, and you can well, see that. One of the things I think is, is it's really interesting is, is you, you guys have probably seen some behind-the-scenes pictures. I mean, it's, it's a lot of cameras, you know, cameras set up and lights, and, you know, we got a big monitor, and I'm sitting there with headphones listening and, and the whole thing, and, you know, you, you'll have guys, uh, a guest who will, you know, be a little wary, and I'm like, just sit down and talk to Mark. You will soon forget that we're all here, and they do. Ten minutes in, they, they, they forget that there's cameras, and they forget that there's anybody there other than Mark, and that's when the conversations really kick in. Yeah, and Mike's was Mike's was definitely like that because I didn't know what to expect, you know. And I yeah, had that was I, really good. That's the I, I had no idea half of the stuff about him. You know, it's like now it's like I check it out. I mean, like I'm constantly I shouldn't say constantly. I'm actually I'm due to send him a text anyways. But um, you know, it's just I mean, he was a skateboard kid. I didn't know. Yeah, he's 90s. very similar to you. I know. I was just like I had no idea. <laughs> the only thing I saw, quite honestly, the only thing that I saw was kind of the same thing with like Mike Shortino came in to do uh, Fudo Budo because like I've been doing ramen for probably 20 years like I've just I love cheap food and I've always been ramen particularly I'm a like I mean I like I love everything that's Japanese it's always been sort of my gig so Shortino comes in and I've already done ramen I mean I've done ramen at various places various like like um, Charleston Bird Atlanta food and wine and Shortino comes in and my first my first thing was like you oh, know this is fucking cracker doing ramen like who does this guy think he is doing ramen that's my gig so i was so and with mike same thing he opened up a place called bardo which is a buddhist you know it's a buddhist term i've been a practicing buddhist for over 30 years so i'm like who's this guy think he is he's, he's you know he's jumping on my he's jumping on my bandwagon over here so i i was a little bit tentative and i didn't know if it was just going to be pretentious food or not and like i and i no disrespect to any of my chef friends or anything like that when we went in and had a dinner that was a very personal meal and I did not expect it to be that personal um it was I, I mean I had a visceral reaction and to me that's what I want out of food when I'm eating it I want when people eat my food my whole thing is I want you to love it or hate it I want you to be like no it's okay like I didn't do my job well, that's I, pretty I interesting talk about your background though yeah like what you're about your food and where you're cooking now and yeah, we already put our names on the wait list for South Yeah, <laughs> we cannot wait. And also your tomato soup at uh, Free Range for the New Year's. That's soup like famous day. soup, isn't it? Oh my gosh! Yeah, and I mean I I've think gotta, about and, it. And often. I have to give and I have to give <laughs> a shout out mind. to that tomato soup because I was working on one. I had a tomato soup that I've been working on for years, and I mean, I think every chef does to a certain degree. I have fond memories of that because I mean, as a kid, you eat a lot of tomato soup. So when Jamie and I started working on Nan and Byron's. This is probably one of the few areas where I think it, you would expect there to be like, oh, you got a tomato soup recipe. Oh, you got a tomato soup recipe. There's going to be some budding of heads. So basically my tomato soup now is five churches tomato soup mixed in with the one that we did a little bit with Nan and Byron's and then all of the stuff that I was working on before. Because the one thing that I loved about what they were doing at five church that Jamie brought to mind was something that I loved about Blake's hangover cure for me one time when he did Salmorea, which is a, um, a smooth... Um, uh, uh, what's that uh, cold tomato soup? I can't think Bis- of it. Gazpacho? No, gazpacho, thank you. I totally blanked out. It's a Spanish <laughs> version of gazpacho where it's done smooth and they use um, Four they use sitting here. We olive oil <laughs> and breadcrumbs to thicken it up. So he gave it to me one day. I was like, I, I don't even, I, I don't think hungover was really the word. I think it was probably like an hour past drunk. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I probably went home and slept for an hour, showed up, and it was just kind of like, okay, focus. And Blake made me this thing. So I already, like, it. he took a memory that I had and added on to it. And then working with Jamie did the same thing. So that tomato soup, that's why I think why I love that tomato soup so much. Because it's not, like, just the memory of my grandfather making Campbell's tomato soup for me. It's been sort of my life all the way through. So it's one of those things that 
whenever I get a chance to do soup, I love to do it for multiple reasons. It's the least attractive soup. If you look at like the stuff that shows up at free range, I mean, you know, you got Greg's uh, African peanut soup. That sounds amazing. Like that's it is amazing, and it is amazing. And then there's you know everybody does. There's the chefs always doing the little chefy things, and we do it to impress ourselves, you know, as much as anything else. But I get it. There's a wow factor, and I just love watching it because they'll just everybody will just pass me, and then slowly it starts to show up. Tomato soup when it's done right all does the same thing that scary movies do. Scary movies all since the '70s, sharks, Jaws. Tomato soup, Campbell's soup. If it doesn't reference it, you're not going to get it. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's that's what I grew up eating too, and I think that's partially like I I don't want it now, but I still like I still want like the the pull of it like in a in a certain sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And the weird thing about the tomato soup where it's where it's at where you guys get it now, um, going from Halcyon, which was you know that was funny because we were the we were in the animal restaurant like we did we celebrated the whole animal, and. People got so fixated on that, myself included, that they didn't recognize how, how much vegetable cookery that we did. Um, and as that tomato soup has sort of moved from one direction into another to where it's at now, I mean, I do it as a completely plant-based I was going to ask you, there's no, no chicken broth or anything? No, there's nothing like that. And it's, it, it, had, it had sort of been heading like that. And once the idea of adding olive oil, which is what Jamie brought to it, I'm like, oh, wow, this makes it so much better. Like the creaminess texture is there. And now I can give it to people that way. And I mean, my diet has since gone in that general direction as well. So it's like, I love being able to give somebody something that everybody would enjoy without even it feeling like it's like they're lacking their meat. Products. Is it vegan too? Or is there... it's completely vegan? That's amazing. There's no, cream I don't like anything. to use that word because of the politics that are involved, right. but it's exactly, I mean, yeah. it's vegan. There's no, and it's so creamy. Yeah. It's good. So you're at Southminster. I'm at Southminster. So how'd you get there? Um, I think we well, sort of start with loot. Cause yeah. So you're from New York. From New York, move down here. I'll, I'll do it quick because I feel like I've yeah. taken all of Pete's time here. He's already on Facebook now. <laughs> Pete's making money over there <laughs> doing saying, something. He's I, good. I was at trying that. to count up our episodes. Um. Yeah. So I mean, we moved down from New York. My wife's family was down here. We moved down. I fell in love with it when we came down. Um. We and were. You moved down for. We moved down for. I saw Charlotte getting ready to blow up because we had Jay Wu that had just said they were coming in. We were getting a basketball team back. We already this had was the, like 2005. It was earlier, yeah, but it was right. We opened we Probably. opened Lulu late 2005. So I think if I remember correctly, we were 2002 or three, because my youngest had just about turned a year old. So um, we got down here, and um, I went into what eventually was Nolan Kitchen in Myers Park, um, but it was Cafe Frappe at that time. They had a scathing. Speaking of scathing reviews, they had a scathing review um, that. Trish Childress from the Creative Loafing had given. So it was already, and it was kind of in my mind, and I was just like, huh, you know, one of the things I was doing in New York was fixing restaurants. That was sort of my gig was like coming. And you were in, in the city or you were? No, I was mostly living up in, like, most of my cooking happened outside of the city. I was up in Syracuse, Utica area. Um, so big. Sorry, she's from, uh, her mom's from Syracuse. Yeah. yeah. So I was like big fish, small pond, you know, and it's like, it, I really wanted to sort of, I, I knew that I had more food in me than what central New York was going to, to um, support. They're just now sort of in the last couple of years, really getting on board with what we were doing. It's like, we live near agriculture up there. I grew up near agriculture. So being farm to fork was what we did, but it didn't have a name, you know? And I liked it just because of the fact that I was supporting my friends. And number two, chefs are ego driven. And I've got something in my menu that you don't have. And we love that kind of stuff. So when I got down here and we ended up opening Lulu, uh, I met Fabrice through my wife, my business partner, 
and we immediately jumped in. It's the big the story that you, most people would go like, "Oh my God, are you fucking nuts?" Because <laughs> I didn't know the guy for more than like four months. Um, he's from France. They moved down from New York. Um, his father's got some really weird, nefarious like dealings in the world, just based on basic stories. So I mean. You could be taken for a ride. Don't really know. Um, but there was something, like, for some odd reason, it just went past that. And I'm like, no, he seems trustworthy. So we jumped all in. I put a lot of that restaurant on my credit card. We opened Lulu. We built that thing from, you know, this deli. Um, you know, I we, pinned, we, we, we did the decorating. We did everything on a dime, which is funny because I still see, like, Lulu Yellow showing up in, inside restaurants, Deep Cow Slip number five for anybody that wants to find it. Um <laughs> So we opened we opened up Lulu and uh, you know we we went from we we had just hoped that we would make we found a receipt from uh, the Midwood Cafe that was there and I was like if we could just do that our first week like we'll be okay our whole goal was just to be able to like have a brunch that would pay our would basically would pay our lease and then we figured we could make we we could figure out the rest and we just sort of watched it do the reverse of half lifing like radioactively so it was like we made the number that we wanted in a week on our first day. The end of our first week, um, we had a piece of press talking about our food and what we were doing there from um, Helen Schwab, and we just like unexpectedly blew up. And with that, of course, instead of like initially, it was like we put money back in the restaurant. Then I was like, we could probably buy a car. We could probably do this. We could probably get some drugs. We could probably do all these <laughs> things. Um, and then the recession hit. You know, in, in the meantime, of course, they're like, oh, they're going to put a. Uh, um, trolley through here and condos are going up over there and all this like what's happening now was supposed to happen in 2008 and then um, we had a hurricane that took out the gas line Um, so we had like a small gas crunch here in Charlotte and we barely recovered from that and then the bottom dropped out of the housing market and we went from you know being I mean we made solid money we were able to do whatever we wanted to like you know, it's like, hey, I'm making some peanut butter sandwiches to bring home. So we ended up selling Lulu because there was no – I sold my half of Lulu because there was no way two families would be able to survive on that. Even with a, a rebounding healthy economy, we saw it. Um, I knew Fabrice believed in that restaurant and its value more than what I thought the real world value was of it. So I allowed him to buy me out. And, and it made more sense that a general manager isn't going to find – a job as easy as a guy who's kind of built a marquee name by that point, you know, at least a recognizable one. So I had a more marketable name. Um, so then I went to work with Blake and then right after I got started there, um, that's when the folks from Halcyon had reached out via, um, rich, the spice guy, which is now Troy Gigliardio, who was at, um, woos, right. Um, he bought that out from him, but we got connected up. I'm like, look, I just took on a project. I'm not leaving. And uh, he's like, well, just meet with him. And I met with him, and I gave him, like, the whole rundown. It's like, you want to do farm to fork? This is what it's going to cost you. So I don't want to hear three years in, like, well, how come we're doing 40% food costs? I'm like, that's what it costs to do, and I'm just trying to be, like, up front. I wanted them not to hire me. Um, and then I gave them, um, you know, I told them what my needs were and everything else, and they came back, and they're like, we really want to do this with you, and we believe in what you're doing. And for almost three years, it was, I mean, we had a pretty, I, I mean, we had a good run. They had a good run after I left. And you had no some, like, great chefs working for you i mean pretty much everybody that's a name now you know has come through the restaurant the only one that like so chris coleman didn't take the job um greg collier didn't take the job ben philpot didn't take the job they all wanted to but i couldn't we couldn't afford to give them what they were worth um and greg had bigger fish to fry and it was funny because out of all of them when after greg left i was like he's like yeah i think i'm gonna open a breakfast joint i was like whatever it's never gonna work 
<laughs> and here he is, you know. Um, and that Greg's like my favorite. You. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I didn't say it to him, but I thought it. I was just like, you're going to put all your eggs, no pun intended, into that basket. <laughs> yeah. Like, breakfast at Rock Hill is not going to make a name for you, brother. And I was wrong. And I was wrong about a lot of things I'm coming to, coming to terms with. Um, so anyways, that's a long story short. We did James. We did the James Beard House, me, Blake, Alyssa from Alyssa's Cooks. Um, kitchen. I'm sorry, Alyssa's Kitchen. Um, we all went up to uh, we all went up to the James Beard House, and it was funny because outside Blake was like, "You know what this means, man." I was like, "What?" He goes, "It's like an extra five grand on your uh, on your paycheck from now on." And then the fire sale started. Are you still waiting for that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Southminster actually. Well, I mean, yeah. Southminster was helpful with that. But um, I mean, the fire sale started almost immediately afterwards, and I was I, I think I was just kind of like hanging on. Um, but you know, the, from that point forward, I think once we got back from James Beard, my whole thing was, is number one, I fell out of love with the idea of being a beard chef because I just figured if you worked really hard and put out personal food, they would recognize you. And they do, but you also have to have really great PR to help do that. And, you know, I'm not, I don't mean to disparage them. They do a lot of great work. They keep a lot of stuff up there. But all that being stated, for me personally, it didn't speak to my ethic, and that's not how I wanted it to be. And it turned out that it was, you know, you get to peek behind the curtain, and I'm like, nah, I don't like what I see. So I had to figure things out. And that's how I ended up at Southminster. Like, the, the very long and then short end of it is, is I was still figuring myself out, and I looked at being at the point of looking down the barrel of 50 as a chef who still felt viable and things to bring to the community and things to bring to cooks, um, but also wondering what's going to happen as the city grows, um, how we're going to be able to pay staff, what happens when it falls back in or like worse if costs go up. And honestly, it just seemed to me that being in a retirement setting seemed to be the biggest area of growth that could use an influx, right? And safety net for me. Um, so I ended up in a very talented, I mean, my kitchen is ridiculous. Yeah. You've packed. got like all-star chefs working there. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the executive chef, which I am not, um, Ryan Forte, um, is an amazing leader, um, a great chef great cook. I got Philip Latoni who, you know, can go toe to toe with anybody that's putting out creative food in Charlotte. He puts out beautiful who's plates. Doing, who's doing a dinner at Southminster? Is that Philip? He's doing one coming up at Yeah, because uh, yeah, I yeah. saw him at Goodyear House and he was talking about I was like, I want to go to that so he's bad. So, and the thing is, is like he's <laughs> so amazing and we've got him in our kitchen, you know? Yeah. Um, Paul uh, Ketterhagen, who was at Carpe Diem for 13 years, is in my kitchen, our kitchen. Um, Anne-Marie Stefani, you know, NCLRA, former pastry chef of the year. She's working in my kitchen. I've got Dean, yeah, Dean Orr, who was supposed to open up Barristers as the chef de cuisine with Kyle. He's a badass. He's in my kitchen. I mean, in our kitchen, it's just, it's crazy um, the amount of talent that's in there. But part of it is, is because we can give, we can give what a lot of places can. That's quality of life. Benefits and everything too. I mean, yeah, exactly. Outside of benefits, I mean, Old people eat the early. The schedule too, right? Nobody. I mean, so none of my, none of yeah. those people really have peak to dinner worry. Dinner at five thirty. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds exactly. good to me. <laughs> I mean, they're by ten o'clock. They're out. You yeah. know, like there's, they can have lives. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, is like they also have to deal with all the other things that come with doing doing that many people a, a day. Three hundred sixty-five days a year, we're open. We're right. doing. We have to feed no them. Holidays. Does, does yeah. yeah? It doesn't matter what goes on. There's work. Um, even with what we have happening, you know. At any given moment, as far as health concerns, yeah, I was going to ask you. It was like kind of so, crazy to go into work for you. So maybe we're right yeah, now. I mean we're in, speaking of the coronavirus for people that are dependent on when they hear about this. So we're at the beginning of it here in Charlotte. Everyone we, will be dead maybe by the time they hear this <laughs> in a week when well, this airs. Yeah, right. So we went into we went into lockdown early part of the week. And, Did you? Okay. So and what that means is that we're so no like 
only essential, well, no, I'm sorry, not essential staff. So staff comes in, but we get screened as we walk in the door every single day. Like a temperature check and everything? Temperature check. They just do a wellness check with you real quick. Sanitize your hands as you walk in, and then you go to work. And then we've taken um, regular service off the menu, no pun intended, and instead we're doing pickups. And we have this set up so that way it's the least um, least packed way to have people come and grab food. So they're just taking it to their rooms? Yes. There's okay. no sit-down service, and we have it set up so that way they're not, like, they're not hanging out. The idea is to not have a bunch, like they're not waiting for like their meal to show up. They get there and it's ready to go. So it's 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 a lot of hustle and a lot of, of lot of making this go. So we've had to limit their choices. So we're using this as an opportunity to really showcase how much talent we have because we're going to put out amazing food. If you're not going to have 10 options for dinner or 12 options for dinner, you're only going to have two or three options for the day plus you know, soups and salads, some other things. We're going to make these things kick ass all the way across the board. So normally, is it like a restaurant style seating or do they can they sit like just two people or is it a long table? So this is what, yeah. So I mean, a lot of people have these ideas of what, of what retirement community looks like. And this is, this is part of the reason why I signed on. So we're in the process of a huge expansion down there. So we have, we're building a fine dining restaurant that will compete like with anybody that's doing James Beard worthy food. We'll have that on site. Um, can the public go to that? So we're working on a way to figure out how we can do this. That'd be awesome. So just so, I mean, if, if for no other reason, because... I'm going to meet my second wife there, too. <laughs> the thing about South Minster that I love is they're, they're, communi- they're community-oriented. Like, they give and do a lot for the community. Um, and it's just part of their business plan. It's part of, their, it's, it's part of our corporate culture there, if you can call it that. So we want to figure out a way to blur those lines. And it's beneficial for, for our residents because they're interacting with people that they might not. Because um, it's not it's not like a hospital or a prison, that, which a lot of people figure like, oh, well, you know, it's a nursing home. You must be on lockdown. Like, no. I mean, if you're a health risk to yourself, there's, there's some protocols that go, you know, but that's closer to end-of-life care, really. Um, so we have a fine dining restaurant. We have what we'd consider right now our upper scale, which is a promenade and does dinner. Um, and it's like a regular restaurant. We have – you make reservations. You come down. You know, you get sat. You sit with your friends. But there are four tables, six tops, just like a regular restaurant dining room. We have a bistro downstairs. It's a little more fast casual. Food's still brought to you. Um, and you can sit with your friends. But it's still set up like a restaurant. We're expanding all of that plus redoing our health care. Sounds so like a resort. It's a lot like a resort. Yeah. Basically, it's a lot like a resort and a cruise ship. And yeah. it's 55 plus? Yeah, you can buy condos in there. And I guess, how many culinary employees? I mean, that must be hundreds, right? I mean, is it? Um, hundreds, I'm not sure about front of the hundreds. house staff. Yeah. Um, but I know that I've got probably, I haven't really counted, but I have to say maybe 30, 32 employees that I have to write schedules for. Okay. Give or take. Yeah, that's a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. we're going to put our name down. Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, and the thing is, they're super supportive of, of this project. Like, they've, anytime I need to do something or throw stuff in, Salem, our culinary director, I mean, he's been, I mean, he's, if you guys know anything about, if you guys are involved in Charlotte culinary scene in any way, shape, or manner, you see Salem Suber's name pop up a lot. Um, and he's, you know, he's been, him and, him, he and Chris uh, Reed really set the tone as far as what, all of us are now there working on or working with. So what's next for Order Fire? Uh, probably just more of the same. Just keep keep going. We keep don't, going. We, Who's uh, the next big guest that you really want that you haven't gotten yet? We, we've been really lucky. Uh, everybody we've asked has wanted to be on, um, except for one person. Uh, two people. Shyness or scheduling or what well, were the reasons? Um, one we can mention and one we won't. How's that? 
Oh, perfect. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to talk about... You don't have to mention either one. You can tell us off there. And Mishama, who we right, really right. wanted. So uh, season four or three, season three, we, we had branched out. We were trying to be more regional. We really wanted to have uh, Mishama Bailey on from the gray in Savannah. And uh, I, I, you know, the thing about Order Fire is it, it's extra for all of us. So I was busy and just didn't get around to asking. And then when I was ready to ask... She had just won, you know, Chef of the Year. Yeah. And, you know, my I think my inquiries, you know, just went off into Got a lost. black hole at yeah. that point. <laughs> so it's not that... It, we actually did hear from uh, the restaurant or the PR. I'm not sure who wrote back and said, you know, you know, Mishama can't... won't be able to participate. And we're like, yeah, we kind of missed that window. We would have loved to have gotten gotten her in there earlier. Because um, I think her... I heard her story, um, part of her story on... on uh, Maybe it was NPR or one of the uh, one of the shows, uh, Fresh Air or something, and it was just just so well, intriguing. Did they do a it. chef's table on her? I think so. She's if, she's got like big press now. If they yeah. Yeah, if they haven't, they should. And it's funny because yeah. one of the guys that I used to travel with, poetry wise, in my other life. Um, Hell yeah! She, when we opened up Halcyon, she had just gotten like down that way. Like she started moving. She had moved out of up north to down south, and I think she may have just gotten out of the gray at that point. Um, and my timeline could be a little fuzzy on that one. I can't imagine why. Um, but um, I want to know about this poetry traveling. Was it crazy? Was it like the, it was in a Beatles uh, VW van and no, that would have been. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big, yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely was, a lot of bongos, a lot of bongos, <laughs> a lot of tie dye. Um, now I was kind of lucky on that aspect. I mean, real quick, I mean, I basically we did kind of like we do with Order Fire. Like we basically just so all this money was getting pulled out of the schools. Like there was no more art, there was no more music. You know, they didn't have the money for it. And we had some um, a collective of people in Syracuse, um, you know, like old anarchists and communists that had this little art collective going on. And amongst them were people that were really, really good at getting, finding and getting grant money. And they found grant money for this little group that we had. It started off as a drive-by poets because we would come in out of Utica to go hit bigger things like Syracuse or Albany um, and show up and do these poetry slams. Well, at that point, it was poetry readings. It was just at the birth of the slam movement. And um, we got we got hooked up with the Syracuse crew, and we went from drive-by poets to um, the Bodega Republic. And part of that was <laughs> part of that was taking um, grant money. We found out about these grants, and we're like, "What if we take this fucking grant money? Take take our vacation time, make sure that we don't lose money, so we can pay our bills, but then take all the rest of that money and give it to the school, and give them a week of like poetry classes." But the poetry classes were really more on teaching empathy and social, like in social responsibility. So this was like this was our great ruse, right? It's like I would take a week off from working as a chef and go to Marcella School District in Syracuse to be an artist in residence for a week. Take eight hundred, but take eight hundred dollars and then give three grand to the school to buy art supplies. Yeah, that's cool. That so awesome. I mean, that was kind of fun. She used to teach poetry slam. I think I, did, yeah. I think I... poetry slam is one of the coolest forms of art. Like when it, it when is. someone's doing it it's right, powerful. It's so cool. And, and then it became like that stepping stone to like how to be a VJ or how to get it like, like a you know, rapper. <laughs> I mean, Saul Williams did a great job with it, but then there's like Taylor Molly who didn't. I mean, there's all these guys from the early part. Yeah. There was just this really weird scene. Um, but uh, we went off on that tangent for a reason, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> you asked about poetry. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> poetry um, time. And you're so oh my, now, oh yeah, right? but oh, Mashama Bailey was what oh, it was. Right, yeah. So right. one of the guys that I traveled with, Sean, um, he he's <laughs> like a second cousin to Mashama Bailey. So he was telling me about her, and I just remember, and I'm <laughs> beaking back this up on this one. I'm 
pretty fucking self-centered if you haven't figured it out. So, um, that, that I, is true. I'm comfortable with it though. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm not a dick about it except for the pee. Well. <laughs> but anyways, he had sent me this thing. I'm, the, the point of the matter is, is like pretty much I'm unaware of what anybody else is doing around them. Like when I was doing poetry, I don't read poetry. I just, I'm like, I had to do it. When I skateboard, I just skateboard. I mean, I'll watch videos. It's a little bit different. Right. But as far as what chefs are doing, I really don't care. And it's, it's a horrible thing to say, but I don't, it's not because I'm trying to be like, I don't want to be influenced by him. I'm, I'm not like I'm inspired to cook food. I'm not like, I'm not looking to be inspired to cook food. Does that make sense? That just, it's where I operate from. I'm not completely unaware. I know what trends are and all that other stuff, but honestly, I don't operate in the same space when people go like, Hey, what do you think about the chef down here? I'm like, I don't fucking know who that is. They're like, he just got like chef, like Southwest. I'm like, don't know, <laughs> don't care. Um, and it's not to take away from that person. I don't think I'm more important than them. I just don't operate in that space. So Mishama Bailey was one of these ones that like slipped. So right you do all the bookings, I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, uh, I do. I, I send yeah. emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because what ha I fumbled the ball for being a good writer. Like when I reached out to Ashley Christensen, I fumbled it big time. Like I didn't even How so? Well, because number one, it's Charleston Food and Wine two weeks ago. Uh. And I didn't take that into consideration. Like I know who – I love Ashley Christensen. She's amazing. Like there are – We'd love to have of. her be on the show. But like in that case, he was like, can you reach out to her because, you know, Joe – I'm good friends with Joe Kendrick. And he's like, can you reach out to see if Joe can – I'm like, well, I'm like I'm friends with Ashley. We've met a couple of times. It's just they were friends. We're, we're acquaintances. Um, and she gave me a super solid tweet one day. So I was like, hey, remember me from that? <laughs> Which was sort of how this whole – this is how my reach out went through Facebook was like, you know – this whole like, hey, blah, blah, blah. We had met at Charleston Food and Wine. Me and Pete talked to you. I was a guy who you tweeted about as lamb ramen at Atlanta Food and Wine and then went off why I thought she would be great to be in there with like this sort of exuberance that you hear right now. So that's me typing like, hey, hey. and I hit send it. Like, I'm like, oh, shit. Because then I, I, I read it and it just sounds like a fanboy thing. So, I, <laughs> so I'm like, fuck. I was like, well, she probably won't even see it. She probably gets all these things and all of a sudden you just you see the boop. Saw and then dead air. Oh gosh. I'm like, oh, I was so crushed. I'm like, I can't believe I fucked this up. So then I immediately texted Joe Kindred and I'm like, Joe, can you help me out? <laughs> and he goes, Well, you know, she's got a book coming out and she's opened the chicken shack and she's got Charleston food and wine going on. And I could already see what had happened. It's like, with Just busy. Like, like you yeah. did with Mashama, right. only the worse. Timing, yeah. oh, only worse. Like, I totally Labradored that thing. Like, want to play fetch? Want to play fetch? And she was just like, so excited. She's like, never mind. We've been known to do that a few times. Well, so, and I wanted to just briefly talk about your sobriety, right? Is that, so, Yeah. how long have you been sober? Two years, two and a half years, something like that. I'm sorry. I have to, I have to check, thank you. I have to check the date now. Like, that's, which is kind of cool. You're not keeping, like, marking the days off the calendar. No, I mean, I was at first because it was a high score thing. So, I mean, just really quick, I mean, like, I went sober and then about two weeks in because of what we do and who we hang out with, I gave myself permission to drink. So, I mean, at any given moment, like, I'm not breaking some rule of my sobriety if I have a drink. But the thing is, is every single day is, is one more day than I've ever not drank in my life. And it's kind of hard to go like, shit, I have to hit reset right. just because of that drink. You know what I mean? Even, th I, even though it's just one. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But yeah, I have, like, like to be honest with myself, I have to do that. And so... Um, when I first started, I did a lot of writing, trying to figure this whole thing out. And then I realized it was like, I found out that I was in, like, I was doing recovery without really even thinking about it. Um, you know, and I was, I mean, I was lucky because I've got friends like Pete, Ben Philpott, and these are guys that I've pounded alcohol with, you know? Um, <laughs> yes, I mean, Pete's been on the road with me and it's, you know, that was my thing. That was, I mean, part of it was doing order fire because I could watch myself on video, like, especially the early ones. I'd have a beer, have a beer, have a beer. And it was just like when I was cooking and drinking, like start off sharp, end up dull. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to cook like that. 
And then I saw myself doing it on TV, and I'm like, that's not – it was way funnier, like, with that warm glow in the back of your head. Like, yeah, like, I heard laughter, and I was like, that's not funny. Right. <laughs> um, and it just – and there was no – I mean, if you think I ramble now, you can only imagine, you know, <laughs> even just being lightly buzzed. But um, – so I did. My friends didn't make it awkward. They didn't make it difficult, which was great. Um, ben has been quick to break my balls about it, and that that's helpful for me because it keeps it honest. I'm from New York, so I'm, I'm like I'm so used to having my balls busted about shit that if I do something like going sober, I have to do it, and I have to be able to take the lumps. Um, so doing it out loud, like as quick as I did, which normally I just would have been like, eh, it's kind of like going vegan. I don't talk about it because I've taken the piss out of that for so many years about like, hey. Have I told you I'm vegan yet? You have, actually. Yeah. But I'm saying, you know, it's like you, there's an old joke is like, you know, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody is there to hear it, are you a vegan? Right, yeah. So um, my sobriety, I put it out front when, um, um, what you call it, from Husk. Um, Sean Brock. Sean Brock went sober. Um, it, in a roundabout way, that influenced me because, I mean, I've gotten shitty with him, too. I thought he was a dick. Um, and I'm sure he thought I was, too. But... Um, <laughs> People were saying like he shouldn't have done it the way that he did so soon because you'll break you'll you'll end up failing. And what I saw was what chefs do is like we put ourselves out immediately and we help like for me anyways I saw it as like he's holding himself responsible. He can't show up someplace and sneak a bourbon, mm. you know. So my friends were going to do the same. I was hoping that by doing that my friends would do the same thing. So my sobriety has been sort of out loud um, in that aspect, and then now I'm just trying to figure it out in a different way because initially. It, like it had a lot of meaning and now I'm just sort of living sober and living in recovery. I'm not like, it's never done, done. But one of the unexpected, um, um, benefits of it has been helping people, the, the service aspect of it. And I didn't expect all that. I didn't expect to have an impact on people who gives a fuck if I went sober, you know, I spent so many years being the poster boy of booze, um, in Charlotte living a good time. It's like, who's really going to give a fuck other than calling me weak? You know, it's like, well, that's it for him. And there's that view that's that, you know, people that are alcoholics are they look like, you know, down and out on what you see on the movie. And people are functioning day to day as functioning alcoholics. They don't have a healthy relationship with alcohol or whatever their substance is. Not everybody that drinks is an alcoholic, but everybody that's an alcoholic drinks. So my whole thing was is I wanted to take away that stigma of alcohol, which is why I've been loud about it. Um, and it's been odd for me because Order Fire is so tied in with Free Range Brewery who brews beer, which is my drink of choice when I'm drinking. So trying to figure out how to navigate that space has been kind of interesting because I didn't want to be, I didn't want my friends to suffer for it either. You know, does that make sense? And they've been like, and that's what I mean by they've been super supportive. So even though like our little things don't line up, They've they've managed to line up, meaning like free range has been very supportive of where I've been. They have more choices for kombucha, plus that water that they make, their mineral water, which is amazing. Um, So in any event, I'm I'm at this point now with my sobriety where I'm trying to figure out how do I write about it in a way that we like with order fire. I'm trying to tell a better story with it because I find that's the only like for me that's a really good outlet to get it out there and be impactful and. uh, not, I mean, we can't do order fires about being sobriety. Nobody wants to watch that. It feels preachy, I think. You and Sean Brock, you just talk about it. <laughs> We're trying to, well, anyways. I mean, and you guys, I mean, thank you for asking about it because it's like I don't want to bring it up, but I want to make sure because there's people out there that may hear this that need it. 
Yeah, I mean, we were not and sober, but like neither of us, we don't drink that much. And even that can be awkward around around people. Like they'll be like, why? Why aren't you? You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's a very strange thing. To well, like, I think she's pregnant. I'm like, we yeah. don't have sex. Don't oh, yeah. That's that. like, yeah, as a woman, it's always like, oh, like people will be like, she doesn't have a drink in her hand. I'm like, I have really bad migraines. I'm not much of a drinker. And, and so. I'd be remiss not to mention the fact that our next guest, Sam, um, yeah, that's is, perfect lead into yeah. Oh, yeah. our next episode. Sam, yeah. 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 Sam from has gone farther away. Oh. Oh, Sam yeah, from sorry. Upstream. <laughs> um, <laughs> number one, he was gracious. He's such enough. a nice guy. He's amazing. Um, his his sister was my child's fourth grade teacher, which is how he and I kind of came into contact. And it's funny because I think he and I were both heading down some very dark areas at about the same time. So it's like we never fully connected, but we did. Does that make sense? Like we talk on social media a little bit, and there was definitely, you could feel something. And I, I mean, Sam and I have a, have a pretty close relationship for people that didn't hang out for years and years and years and years together. Um, and his story and his his in his sobriety and his work in it has been absolutely um, phenomenal. And that was part of the reason why I wanted him on the show. But it was like, how do I get him on the show? I don't want to like I don't want Sam's being a guest on our show. My my view was was just because he's sober, right? I mean, he's a phenomenal chef. So the fact that he went on Beat Bobby Flay and Beat Bobby Flay, I was like, well, now we got it. Like, we have the culinary story, and then we can sneak in the whole sobriety thing without it being about that. Absolutely. So when is that one coming out? It's supposed to be on the 22nd, but yeah. uh, we're kind of... With the corona, we're not little, sure. In a little limbo. So you guys normally do once a month at free range. Correct. Yeah, we do anywhere from six to nine episodes a year. Yeah. And, then we and it's a fun to, party. Like, yeah. I mean, you get... How many people do you get normally? A hundred, two hundred. We've had we've had you know uh, as few as you know sixty, seventy. And up normally to the chefs like make something to eat. Yeah, they always bring a sample of, so of what they do. You get to eat the chef something, and then you watch the episode, yeah. and then they do a little Q and A. And and the idea is that you know the chef is also there at the party, yeah. not you know behind the line cooking, and you can talk to them, and you get you get to know them. You can, and they stick around after. And, uh, what's really interesting, I've I seen, and I, I don't know, you, I'm sure you noticed it too, Mark, is uh, after the episode, uh, people who were maybe uh, intimidated to go up and talk to them before the episode, after after we show it, they're all like lined up to talk to the chefs and or the, and the guest, and it, it's I really that's one of the things we really like is is kind of taking that curtain back and be you know showing them as their as the human ingredient. Which, yeah, right. Which awesome. by the way, I love Pete coined that phrase and that was like my one of my most favorite thing about Pete was like him when we did this little package and he came up with it. I'm like cuz I'm like I'm like I should have come up with that. How it's did brilliant. I miss it? Yeah. That uh, came <laughs> that came in later like the second or third. Yeah, season. it was when Joel was like we're going to do this rebranding thing and I was like, "Oh my god, that's brilliant." And then Pete was like, well, "That was mine." I was like, "Decent." <laughs> oh, okay. I'm a copywriter too. All right, so we do a recurring <laughs> yep. segment. This is the only recurring segment we have. What's the best thing you ate this week? Uh, this week, uh, well, uh, we went to uh, friends and family over at Lee and Louise. Yes, yeah. we were there his, too. His, Must uh, have missed you guys. Yeah, the turkey wing. Oh, oh we didn't have that. Yeah, Everything so, looked so amazing on the. We actually, had the hardest time deciding. Yeah, the, the the turkey wing was amazing, but I think one of the best things I had was the um, uh, corn and peas, the uh, tamale. I had or, that. Yeah. So so good. Right. Oh my gosh. And you know, it, I don't think it's marked on the menu, but it's a completely vegan meal. Which I was wondering. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it, I, I tasted it was very like savory. I wasn't sure, but that's interesting. Yeah, wow, and, yeah, and that the, was and fantastic. The, the pepper uh, spread that he has in there was just oh a, my gosh. Yeah, yeah the I mean, presentation was beautiful too. I think that I think that turkey wing that was going to become one of those um, top dishes in the city. It was amazing. Okay, we got to get that next time. I'm so mad that I like 
she had sent a, Rachel had sent a, um, the, the invite to me and I like just completely missed it. Oh no. I, I, I completely <laughs> fell out and then I get home and all of a sudden I'm seeing like the, like in, in the middle of all the Corona experts that I have as yeah. friends right. on social media. <laughs> Everyone's um, an expert. Yeah. Then I started seeing these pictures and I'm like, holy shit, we're there. I said, I'm like, what do you mean next week? And I'm like, fuck, tonight was the night I missed it. So I don't yeah. have that experience, but I was so happy to see that cornbread brioche was like one of the one of the items that had showed up through yep. the Oh my gosh. I'm like I have so many regrets I didn't get that. Well the thing is is that was something from I think it was the Apple dinner that we did at Clark Barlow's restaurant like five or six years ago. And he it was a PCG thing. Um and it was probably one of the last times that I was invited to do like one of the name brand chefs showing up like, you know, like Jack is gonna do a course. Now it's kinda like, you know, like I'm I'm the afterthought, which by the way this is exactly sort of why I've directed my career in that direction. Um, but there's kind of every now and again where I'm like, oh, I should have done that. <laughs> but um, he had, but Greg had brought up the cornbread brioche. And it, I just remember it's every time I have this reaction with Greg, I'm always, he's so much further ahead than people really so, even. He's a so far. Oh, people yeah. don't, don't realize it. When he said that, we're like, yeah, whatever, dude. Well, people like, they, they t- they're like, there's no good breakfast places in Charlotte. Like, the fucking yolk. Are, are you kidding me? Have you been to the yolk? <laughs> yeah. Down there? Did you guys yeah. see the uh, the t-shirts? It says no. pot liquor is a mother sauce. Oh, I love no, it. No, I didn't see that. Oh, they so had good. a they had a couple of them because one of them was a bird and something. Rachel had to tell us. Yeah, Greg Greg has a thing where he uh, he's every now and then he'll just start going off on some of the uh, uh, celebrity chefs who can't make a mother sauce. He's like, how the fuck can you be a chef and yeah. not make hollandaise? <laughs> like, you don't even hollandaise. <laughs> He's amazing. Thanks. When we had them on the pod, they just talked for like two hours. It was kind of like we, Mark. We didn't how he say just a went. word. Yeah, it was kind of similar. These are our best Fantastic. days. <laughs> have you seen the episode we did with Greg? Oh my oh, yeah. God. That yeah. thing was, that was He's like one. so good. They're hilarious and smart. Oh. And I just love both of them so yeah, much. Yeah, we do too. What's the best thing you ate, Mark? So this is going to sound uh, kind of, this is going to be a little self pat on the back. I did a, uh, I've been working on this mushroom jerky. And uh, so we've been getting mushrooms through Fresh List, uh, oyster mushrooms. I meant to bring it this morning and completely forgot, so I apologize, but I'll get some to you. Um, lion's mane and oyster mushrooms. So oh, I've been so messing good. around with it because that's one of the things that I'm missing on my plant-based diet. It's just I never – like I like jerky, but I didn't crave it. And then all of a sudden when I took everything out, I'm like, oh, and it's just a texture thing more than yes. anything else. So I've been – and now I have access to um, um, some CVAP machines and what – or not CVAP, but uh, vacuum pack. So I'm able to get these things. I can compress them and then smoke them. And that's really turns out the secret. Shit, I shouldn't give that out on air. Um, but anyways, <laughs> that's, it's, it was actually that. You do not. Give, that's awesome. Give it out, Mark, and it'll come back to you. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You put can it, tell people how to do it. It doesn't the mean world. they're going to do it doesn't mean they're not. Right. Yeah, they won't do it the way you do it. No, but it was one of those weird things. Like when I gave it out to a couple people, even my father-in-law is not. Like he's he is not a foodie. Like he likes good food and everything, but he wouldn't fall into that vein whatsoever. He's unimpressed by things that would impress the average Charlotte diner right now. And then I brought some over to the house to him and he was just like, like this is really good. You know? <laughs> there you go. And I'm like, perfect. Cause that's, you know, that's what I'm looking for is I'm not like, I'm not looking to appease vegans. I just want to like, I'm hoping to be able to maybe do something with this and it'd be a snack that people want to eat. Yeah. I love vegan food. Don't have to be a vegan to love vegan food. No, no, agree. That's yeah. sort of how I fell into it. Yeah. So what was the best thing you guys ate? Yeah, it was funny. I was just thinking oh, the same thing. Oh, man. What about you, Jason? Oh, man. Well, I'm a CPA, so it's tax season, so I don't get out too much. <laughs> um, but we did go to Lee and Louise yesterday. The top, top ramen at the, in the kitchen? Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of uh, QT tornadoes. Pretzels. Yeah, a lot of tornadoes. <laughs> which is, oh, God, which is uh, depressing. Um, I don't know. Probably it had to be something that Lee and Louise. Yeah. I mean, he's just... That, 
just a great going to be a great place. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Like, yeah, we. I mean, everything. Well, hmm. mine was the the Arthur Lou the the Tang Tart oh, because yeah. we had had that at a. Um, he did a pop up with. Um, I forget the name of that sl- dinner series, but we we had Cam it. North yeah, End. we had it there, and it was like it was good. But I but just he had seeing, refined it. I I liked seeing the yeah. dish that's like starts someplace and just keeps going. And it, it felt like it was it, 10 iterations away from yeah. where we had it. So it was just, you know, I don't know, the, the crust particularly, it was, mm-hmm. it was so flaky and like, oh my gosh, the whole yeah. thing was fantastic. What about you? I was like, there. Yeah, well, the, Something his there. fried chicken skins are... No, no, oh, yeah, you can't beat those. He's been working on those things for like 100 years. Mm, delicious. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much yeah, for we, spending the, the time with us. Just, I know you're both so busy. So. And just the stuff you're doing, like, we really There's not a lot it. of places in Charlotte where you can meet the chefs. And yeah. when you see, when you watch them and you, you really feel like you get to know them a little bit. And I think that's really good for the scene. Well, thank you guys for yeah. A, having us on, but B, also doing the podcast that you're doing. Because it's just, I mean, it's it's a symbiotic project that you guys are doing because you're getting. Yeah, exactly. We're all trying to make the food scene better. I mean, the scene is, you got to admit, and I know you guys have got to go, but you got to admit, the scene's getting pretty oh, yeah. awesome now. Really For sure. Is. We're really lucky. Like, it's a great from time. When you, I mean, when you started in 2003, I mean. This is, but I thought this would be here like 2007. You know, yeah. I was like, oh, Took yeah, it's going to be four years. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, by about almost 17 years. Yeah. <laughs> but we're here. But, yeah, but now, it's, now it's like, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. Absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. again, you guys are the best. Stay, oh, well, tell us, order, so it's orderfire.tv. Oh, yeah, TV. where can we find you? Yeah, so okay. we, we tried to get orderfire.com, and it actually expired. And I had, you, you, when your domain expires, you have like a two-week yeah. buffer. Yeah. And I was, every day I'd go on and try and buy a domain, and then the last day they renewed it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so Those jerks. It's, a, it's a, a restaurant group in Toronto. And I think the restaurant group is closed, and I think the people who... Um, Oh, you Re- should reach out to them and well, try and get it. I think who renewed who, the guy who renewed the domain. I think he actually does the um, uh, the website and design for them. And I think he's just sitting on it. Maybe or anyway, we didn't get it, so we decided to go with TV. Uh, we had we were orderfirecharlotte.com for a while, and then when we thought we could go more regionally, right. we we changed it to TV, and it just felt right. So yeah, we're orderfire TV, orderfire TV for on the website, and then orderfire TV for Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. And Facebook. Just order yeah. fire on Facebook, on Facebook, I think. Do we do, do, we do Twitter? Mm-hmm. No one should. <clears throat> yeah, no one should. We don't do it. <laughs> I shut mine off. I was like, yeah, yeah, about four years ago, I'm like, yeah, this is not for me. <laughs> it's yeah, a scary smart. place. <laughs> All right, everyone have a great week and stay safe. Stay safe. Yeah. And keep supporting restaurants. Yes, go out to eat. <laughs> or take out. You going to play us out? Order fire.